0: This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. So today we're talking about a serious subject, David's anxiety. And I want us to see how this word can apply to us today. And so I'm going to ask you if you would turn your Bibles to Psalms chapter 55, And uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Many times already in this particular series, we come across an interesting word, the word selah. And that word simply means to stop, pause, and meditate. And I pray that that's what we're doing throughout all of these psalms. Some very interesting statements here David makes. In this passage of Scripture, I'll call a few of them to your attention. In Psalms 55, beginning in verse number 1, David said, Give ear to my prayer, O God. Hide not thyself from my supplication. Now look at this, verse number two, it starts to get really interesting. He says, attend unto me and hear me. And so it's sort of like a repetitious thing that David is giving us here because he's already said, God, pay attention to what I'm saying. Listen to me. Hide not yourself from me. He says in verse 2, attend unto me. So it's sort of like when Jesus says, Verily, verily, David is saying, Listen, listen. He is saying, Listen to me, O God. But then notice what he says. He says, I mourn in my complaint and make a noise. Have you ever been to the place where you have been so overwhelmed and so burdened, maybe the better word is broken, where you have prayed all you know to pray, you have cried until you cannot cry anymore. I don't know if any of you have ever been to that place, but when you get to the place where you are broken and you cry and then you remain broken and continue to be broken where you cannot cry anymore but the pain is still as intent the tears just will not flow i, I don't know if if i'm connecting with anybody in here at all today but i'll tell you i have been there there have been times when i have prayed where I have exhausted myself in prayer and I have wept myself in prayer that I honestly, truly did not even know what to say anymore. All I could do was say, here I am, Lord. But you know what? I have the blessed assurance in that despondency Because when I do not know how to pray anymore, the Holy Spirit of God will begin to pray for me and make intercessions for me with groanings, according to scripture that cannot be uttered. There have been times when I could only say, Jesus. I don't know if you've been there, and I don't know if I'm relating to anybody here this morning, but I, I can sympathize and empathize with David. He says this. He said, I, I, I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice. Listen, he's saying this is the reason, the trouble, the problem, because of the voice of the enemy. And believe me, As there is the voice of the Holy Spirit, there is the voice of fallen angels and demon spirits. There is the voices of adversaries. And they will come against you because of the voice of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained with me. I want you to get this now. David is painting a canvas for us. And he says, the terrors of death are fallen upon me. But then notice what he says in verse number five. And this this really jumped off of the page. He said, fearfulness and trembling Are come upon me. Now think about this little shepherd boy who went out to face a giant with only five smooth stones from a brook with a slingshot, turning around and asking his brothers and the whole Israeli army, is there not a cause? Does somebody not get this? Somebody go out there and shut him up. That giant had no fear as far as David was concerned. He knew that he was going in the omnipotent power of God. He knew that God had promised victory. is, is not the battle of the Lord's. He had no fear. And by the way, that story, maybe the Lord will lead me to preach the message again. I hadn't preached it in 25 years. But do you know why? I believe this with all of my heart. David took five smooth stones from the brook. Do you know why? I personally believe because Goliath had four brothers. And David picked those five smooth stones up because he knew that God was going to guide the one and he could guide the other four. So you look at this, he's now, but David's in a fetal position. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. David is just laying himself out here and is exposing all of his frailties. And I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest Lo, then I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. love. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. I wonder how many in here today find yourself occasionally at times where you are having to will yourself or force yourself, make yourself to do something, to get motivated, activated, or maybe you're having to, to will yourself or force yourself not to do something. Maybe, maybe there's a coworker, now you have just decided on Friday that you are not going to touch another donut that anybody brings in the office, and you have a coworker that on Monday morning brings a stack of those hot Krispy creams and sets them. I don't know about you, but when that Krispy Kreme was, the, was on Broad Street, it was the only Krispy Kreme around here, I confess to you, I could eat a dozen before I crossed the James River. <laughs> I've been there. Now, Brother David, that ain't good advice for me or you today, is it? Not good medical advice for us anyway, so behave yourself now. Stay away from those things. But, I mean, you had to make yourself. It was just eating at you. You knew that it was not going to be good, and you swore you were, you were done with it. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes in there with that kind of thing, and you're having to make yourself. You're having to force yourself, will yourself. Maybe, maybe it's with yard work. I don't know how many of you love to do it, but it has to be done. Whether you're painting a fence or you're trimming the hedges or you're pulling the weeds, I don't know how many people love to do that stuff. I mean, maybe you like the garden and it's your cup of tea. I don't know, but sometimes, most of the time, I think for most of us, we have to will ourselves, make ourselves do those kind of things. In a more solemn mode, maybe you have to will yourself or force yourself to have a conversation with somebody that you have been avoiding for a long time. But whatever the case may be, it's just something that you know that you need to do. And for whatever reason under the sun, you, you know you've just kicked the can too far and too long down the road. And all of a sudden you find yourself where... The procrastination is becoming very stressful for you. I, if I have a pet peeve it's in my life, it's procrastination. I despise it. I cannot. And, and there's a lot of people that will tell you the same thing. I don't like procrastination. I, and I believe procrastination is a workshop of the devil. But I'm serious about this thing. I, I detest it. But I believe all of us have been in spots where we simply have had to will ourselves, make ourselves, force ourselves to move forward with something. Willing yourself, forcing yourself, making yourself do something that you know you need to do, you ought to do, or not do, is a very difficult and a complicated thing. Think just for a minute in the area of forgiveness. Forgiveness even though you may not feel like forgiving somebody who has terribly done you so terribly wrong, deep down inside, you know it needs to be done. Because you also know the scripture in Mark eleven twenty six that says, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you, your trespasses. So there are going to be times spiritually, physically... Emotionally, in our lives, where we all have to will ourselves to do some things that is completely against our natural desire to do it. And a look at this scripture. It's a little difficult to pinpoint exactly where David is at this particular point in his life, but we can clearly see that he's at a place where he's having to will himself, force himself, make himself to trust in God at this spot in his life. At first, he's not interested in trusting God, he just simply wants to fly away. He just simply wants to get away from things. But eventually now, despite of everything that he's feeling, everything that he's facing, everything that he's going through, he has to will himself, he has to force himself, make himself to cry out for God's help in his life. Now, most of us know that David lived a very stressful and complicated life. It seemed as if every which way he turned, there were enemies all about him. In fact, that's why God did not give him the permission to actually build the temple. He designed it, but he would not let him build it because he was a man of war on whichever way he turned. Now if you remember in last Sunday's message we talked about the stress that David had with the Ziphites, who was selling out his location who betrayed him to Saul. Now in this week's message we're talking about someone who is very close to David. Someone he loved very dearly. A family member. In fact, it was his own son that was causing him unbelievable heartache. I'm not going to read chapters 15 through 18 in 2 Samuel, but if you make a notation, you can go and read the horrific happenings of this account uh, later on this week sometime. But in those particular chapters, we see David where his own son, Absalom, became a very jealous man for the throne. And he began to turn people against David. And it got so bad that Absalom, David's own son, had kicked him out completely out of Jerusalem. And then we see Absalom leading a full-blown revolt against David. Now keep in mind, David was the real king. He was the real anointed king. Saul was after his life. Absalom was after his throne. And so, more than likely... I cannot be for sure, but more than likely, it is at this point that David writes Psalms 55, when all of these things were happening in his life. And by the time we get to verse number eight, we can see the serious level of anxiety and misery in David's voice. I mean, we can read it in his words. If you allow yourself, you can see it in his countenance. And David said, if I could only fly away, I would. The circumstances that he was in were raining havoc down upon his life. And to make it all worse, he was unable to escape any of it. He was totally boxed in. He was totally distracted. He was totally consumed with all of this misery. And these things were swirling around in his mind and his heart all day long. They were keeping him up all night long. This is the place where he was at. And now he is saying in Psalms 55, God, I am at my limit. I'm at my wit's end. He said, I'm at my breaking point. My anxiety is off of the chart. You may not know this, but the Scripture's full of people who got to this kind of place in their life. Let me just show you one of them real quickly here. It's the story of Elkanah who had two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. Peniah or had children, but Hannah did not. You're very familiar, I hope, with that story. And it wasn't just a little thing. In fact, I want you to see this. It's important enough for us to turn in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 4 through 7. And it was so huge that Peniah, or Penia, however you want to say it, became Hannah's rival. This is important. Now, there's a spiritual truth here. I want you to look at this. 1 Samuel 1, verse 4 through 7 and when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb, and look at this, and her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did, so year by year, when she went to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. And because Paniah was provoking Hannah in such a degrading way, the result was this. Therefore, Hannah wept, she wept, and did not eat. I want you to notice the level of anxiety that had come upon her life during that time. The circumstance was in Hannah's life was so big that it created an enemy inside of her very home and it literally consumed her entire life to the point where she could no longer eat. She couldn't sleep. It was a constant sorrow going on and it caused much grief and anxiety that it took a toll on her physical body. I think perhaps there's some people here today that have been at this place before when you have been so anxious, you have been so tore up, you have been so much at your wits end where the circumstances were so heavy upon you that it began to take the toll on every single part of your life. Maybe it was an adversary in your own home. Maybe at work. Maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your own mind, something you were constantly mauling over day and night, over and over. You thought about it when you woke up during the day. It kept you up at all hours of the night. And maybe you got to the place where you said, like, David, I wish that there was simply a way that I could fly away. I could escape it. Have you ever been to that place? It's in these kinds of desperate places that causes people to do desperate things. Just a few years ago, a certain statistic said that suicide was the 10th leading cause of death. It's a tragic thing that people are brought to such a place, a low place, where they have concluded that they just cannot go on. Unfortunately, throughout the years, we've had three people among us in our congregation who took their lives. One psychologist said in his study that he found out that a person who has reached that level of despondency, one factor stood out head over heels above all others. It wasn't because of how sick that person was or it wasn't how many symptoms that they exhibited not how much pain they were enduring, not whether or not they were rich or poor, but the most dangerous factor in their research was of the person's perception of hopelessness. A person who feels like there is no hope is a very likely candidate for something like that. Now, in David's writing... What he shows us is something this morning that I hope we all can pick up on, and that is this, that in his anxious moment, he wills himself, he forces himself, he makes himself cry out to God, and he shows us that even in life's most critical, most vulnerable, most fragile moments of life, that there is still hope in God. That's what he wants us to see. No matter how desperate we are, no matter how low things get, nothing will ever get us to the place where God will distance himself to where he does not listen. Listen, neither height nor depth nor any other creature will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You may have never known this, but one of the greatest preachers who ever lived, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was known all over the world as a prince of preachers, he himself suffered from depression and anxiety. And this is what he said in his crisis, and I quote, Hope can be found not only in the cross and an empty tomb, but also in the garden in sweat-like blood. And I want you to know, listen very carefully, that hope can be rebuilt in all of our lives when we learn how to will ourselves, when we learn how to force ourselves, make ourselves, when we learn how to press on God in those despondent times. And when we're willing ourselves to push back against all other obstacles that come before his presence. And that's where I believe David is in the story right now, because he's at the place where he feels that he has absolutely nothing else to live for. But he's saying this, God, with the very last breath that I have in my body, I'm going to give it to you. God, I am at the breaking point. I'm at my wit's end. If I could, I would just fly away. But God, I'm I'm determined, I'm going to will myself, make myself that at my very last breath, I'm going to give it to you. So please, God, don't walk away from me right now. Listen to what I'm saying. Attend to your ear to me and come quickly to me. He is saying, please do not hide yourself, your face from me right now. Please do not make it difficult for me to find you right now. God, I need to touch you. I need to feel you. Look again at Psalms 55, verse 1. He said, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. You know, I believe that that when times are good in our life, and we all have good times, and thank God for that, but I believe that when times are good in our lives, if we're not careful, we'll allow those seasons for us to take God for granted. Or we may not feel that we need God when we're on the mountain. Or we may feel like we don't need to take as much time with him. But you know, it's never a good thing or a wise thing to only seek God when we're at our wit's end. The Holy Spirit here is allowing David to help us see that we're able to come to God at any time, in any place, for any circumstance that we're going through. I want to share with you real quickly today four things that I think can help you when dealing with anxiety. Number one, and follow along with me in the bulletin if you will, please. Number one, remember this, that no matter how low life gets, God will never cancel you out. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, the Scripture says, "Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 7, the Word says, "casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you." I want to encourage you not to look at these two verses if they were some kind of two separate tweets from God. Don't do that. Or two separate things. I want you to look at this very carefully. I mean, ask the question, why do we need to cast our care upon the Lord in the first place? Obviously, because the devil's chasing us. The devil is after us. And these two verses are connected. It's not a question of if we are overwhelmed or when we're overwhelmed to do it. The fact remains that the devil is always chasing us. The devil is constantly after us. He's not going to get, you're never going to get to the place where you're so spiritual where the devil says, oh, not today. I, I'm not fooling with him today. I'm telling you this, we will never get to the place where the devil says, not today with us. He is always after us. He's always chasing us. And so don't wait till you think, well, I don't really need God today like I did yesterday, but God, you just hang on because tomorrow's coming. I'm telling you that you will need God just as much today as you needed him yesterday. Listen carefully as we look at the Psalms this morning. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what you're doing. I'm so thankful that no matter what, as a child of God, he will never, ever, ever kick us to the curb. I mean, even when David was at his worst with his adultery, with the murder of Uriah, with the death of his child, God never canceled him out. In fact, after all of that, God never changed one single prophecy to bring Jesus into the world from another lineage. It was still always through David. But with David's repentance, God said, David, draw near to me. And when you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. Number two, in David's despair, he intensified his prayer. In Psalms 55, look at verse number nine, and I want to read Through verse 15, destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I've seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Weakness or wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets, for it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it, neither was it. He that hated me that did magnify himself against me, then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man, mine equal, my guide and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them and let them go down quick into hell for wickedness is in their dwellings. And among them. Perhaps you may wonder something when you read this passage. God, why would you anoint David as king and leave Saul on his throne? God, why would you allow Saul to chase David for years? God, why would you allow David to be homeless for nearly a decade? God, if David is the real king, if he is the chosen, the anointed king, then why don't you just blink your eyes and get Saul out of the way and be done with it? And when you do get Saul out of the way and you do give David his throne, Why do you turn around and allow his own son to take it again from him? You know, but then there's a lot of things that we could question about God, like Joshua and the walls of Jericho, to be quick. Have you ever wondered why God told Joshua to march around the city seven times? I mean, if God was going to be omnipotent, if God was going to win the battle, if God was going to give Joshua the victory. Well, why didn't I thought about that? Why didn't why didn't God just choose to crumble the walls before Joshua got there to save Joshua a bunch of time? You ever thought about that? So Joshua knows now what God is saying, and Joshua knows that God is God and He and He alone. And so Joshua knows that God can do anything. So Joshua could have stepped back and said, God, you know, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Just be God. Just blink your eyes. Just get it done. When I get there, it'll all be straight. That's not what God did. He said, I want you to go and I want you to march around seven times. Listen, in our times of anxiety, our stress and our worry, when they have besieged us, and you don't understand what God is doing in your life, why is he allowing this to happen? He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're dealing with. And you're, you're thinking, God, you're just wasting too much time here. Just think the thought. Just speak the word. God, why do you allow me to continue to go through all of this stress? You cannot forget this one scripture in Isaiah 55, verse 9. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Number three, in our anxiety and our struggles, God is busy accomplishing his purpose you see, when David was anointed king, he wasn't ready to be king. God had to prepare him. So keep in mind that in the desperate and anxious times of our lives, don't rule out the fact that God may be using these difficult times to refine us, to make us to become more like him. You see, we're always going to have a choice, always, We're going to have a choice to give up, to retreat, to withdraw, or we're going to have a choice to turn the thing over to God and His Word and say, Here am I, Lord. You know where I am. You know what I'm going through. And so, Lord, I'm turning this completely over to you. Number four, musicians come. David's will transformed his circumstances. Again, now, he had to make himself. He had to force himself. He had to will himself. And your resolve can do the same thing. It can have the same effect. It can have the same outcome as David. In Psalms 55, verse 16, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. David's point in this was when we're tempted to despair, we have to be willing to wait on God. We have to be. And we must resolve to do this. David is saying, okay, I've had my pity party and now I'm going to choose to cast it upon the Lord. I'm going to choose to cast all my care upon him. So we have to ask, what is the proper place of emotion in a believer's life? Because after all, emotion is a part of who we all are. But emotions have to be, listen carefully, if you don't get anything out of the word today, write this down and go home with this and and meditate upon it. Yes, we are people of emotions, and emotions affect all of our lives, and emotions pushes us towards the brink of anxiety. But listen to this. Emotions, yes, we will have emotions, but emotions have to be the passenger of life and not the driver. Remember that. Despite the emotions of hurt and anguish, David said, I am going to resolve myself to wait upon the Lord. His emotions said, run, quit, all hope is lost. But David forces himself, he wills himself, he makes himself trust in God whom he doesn't understand. God, it's one thing for Saul, but my son, God, I'm forcing myself to cast it all upon you. Never forget this when it comes to your emotions. Number one, they must always be the passenger and not the driver. But listen to this, then never forget it. Your emotions Will lie to you. Your emotions will lie to you. They are part of the human experience, but emotions should never be the engine to the train. We should never be more aware of our feelings than the promises of God. Let me say that one more time. We should never be more aware of our feelings than the promises of God. Now, friends, you can take that home and meditate on that. See. You listen to Pastor Tony Kahoot. For more information, visit our website at bufordroadbaptistchurch.com.